Welcome everyone to today's or this week's webinar and we've got quite an interesting guest, quite an interesting topic that he's going to chat about. We've got Kevin Bees from Australia talking on leading profit maximization and um, with over two, two decades of experience as a senior leader, financial strategist and international speaker, Kevin has worked with organizations like Airbus, Intel Corporation, Qantas Business Travel, Heels Hoist, and thousands of small to medium-sized business owners to improve their results. Kevin quickly improves business profit, clash, clash, sorry, cash flow, and net worth using his skills in financial strategy, sales, marketing, and operations. His clients enjoy the benefits of his mastery in human behavior and change to make the lasting differences in performance of them their teams and their organizations. Kevin has been trusted by Tony Robbins to speak at, his, uh, speak at several of his events and to coach his top level clients, including world champion athletes, senior leaders from organizations such as Amazon, Nike, Walmart, BCG, and many more. So Kevin, with that, the stage is yours. Thank you for such a, such a wonderful introduction. I really appreciate it. I, uh, I always wish my mother-in-law could be on a call like this to hear such, such glowing words. So thank <laughs> you. Uh, today, I want to jump into this, this topic, the most important topic. Uh, I've spent nearly two decades, maybe a little longer than two decades now, in business, studying everything I can on how to help businesses have more success uh, you know, and more impact. And I think this becomes one of the most important topics. There you go. Because a, a lot of speakers come and talk about revenue and I think revenue is great but I can't I can't really take the revenue to uh you know to feed my kids is, is what's left over it's the profit at the end of the day you know uh, to feed the family take care of the kids and do the good things in life I need to make sure that we have enough profitability in in our businesses to make sure that we can do those things and so I want to check in just so I could really pitch this uh this conversation today to the people who are on the call I'd love to get a feeling for the size of your business because depending on the size of your business I may give some different examples or different stories so I'd like you to drop into the chat box if you're a five-figure, six-figure, or seven-figure-plus business. I, I'm not going to ask you how much you're earning or what you make, but just so I get a feel for the scale of it, so just top of five, if you're at five figures a year, six, six figures, seven, or eight. And of course, uh, Philippe, you and I are, are working in Australian dollars, so that makes sense. And uh, if we're working in different currencies, maybe that doesn't quite make so much sense. So, okay, five and six figures, that's, uh, that's helpful, really helpful. So there are really two major leakages in businesses today. Number one is that most businesses are uh, under-converting their leads. So they can get hold of the leads, but they're not converting them. Or two, they're under-servicing them. They get these amazing clients, and then they don't do enough for them. They don't give them the examples of all the things they can do with them and help them. And so I want to talk about how we can turn this around, how we can make a big difference to that. Just very briefly about me, uh, as the wonderful introduction, I do spend a lot of my time working one-on-one -on -one with clients. I've had the privilege of speaking with clients uh, all over the world. I presented to small groups uh, all over Australia and New Zealand. I presented for Tony Robbins on several occasions and then throughout Europe and Asia to, to much larger business groups and audiences. And what I want to share with you today is I my promise, and it seems like a big promise, is I want to help you find an extra $100,000 profit without extra time, effort, or risk. And I say that with a lot of confidence because I work with so many business owners now. I know that there's always, uh, always a leak. I've seen so many examples in businesses. If I could stand next to your business right now and scoop up all of the profit that you're leaking, I would be a very rich man because in every business that I work with or checked out, 
there, there seems to be some gaps. And whether that's a small business or the largest businesses, there's always an opportunity there. And again, I can say it with confidence because I spend time with people. I offer them, you know, 45 minutes of my time to sit down and find 100,000 in their business. And here's Pablo. He, he said, hey, I sat down with Kevin for 45 minutes and he did find me 100,000 in opportunity because there are so many leaks in so many businesses. And so now I've got so much I want to share with you today. I'm just not going to be able to get through all of it with you. And so what I want to do is I want to gift you this report straight away up front. You don't need to opt in for it. I'm, I'm not looking for anything like that. I just want to give this to you. So if I don't get through everything we have to get through today, you can still access this report. Um, and it's got 125 free and easy to implement money maximizing opportunities. Um, I'd like to, uh, Chris, I'll probably get you to, to paste that uh, into, into the chat for us afterwards. Um, and I'll, I'll make sure you can get a copy of that one so that I don't interrupt the flow of this presentation. Actually, maybe I can probably do it here myself. Give me one second. I, I want to make sure that everyone's listening has got a copy of this one. There you go. I can probably do it straight away. There you go. So that's in the chat box or uh, if you're listening on the on the replay, then check it out in the show notes. So just go and grab that one. It's, it's completely free. And there's 125 free and easy ways in there. Now, let's get straight into it then. Let's actually talk through what are the, the key things that you're going to uncover in this report. Number one, the biggest leak that most business owners are making is that they're not attracting enough qualified new leads, right? And I say qualified, qualified is the key word there. We can get people who show interest in our products or service, but they're not the right people. So we can waste a lot of time speaking to people who aren't, aren't relevant. Number two is that we're not converting these prospects into clients. So we may have a good conversation with them, but they don't actually end up becoming clients. Number three is we're not maximizing the average spend of each client. So if a client comes on board with you, do they purchase, you know, uh, you know, the smallest thing you have? Do you have bigger offers? Are there bigger things you can share with them and help them out? How can we help them spend more money with you on average? And how do we help them purchase more frequently? A lot of business owners don't, don't capitalize on the opportunity to have people purchase again and again and again. Now, if we want to have a very successful business, these are really critical things to do and do well. Uh, number five is we can get a little bit complacent and not manage our expenses uh, effectively. Number six is that we don't manage our time effectively. Uh, I know in the world today with so many distractions and interruptions, it's so easy to get knocked off a track and uh, not be putting our energy into the thing that's going to give us the biggest impact. And number seven is not managing cash effectively. Okay, we, we're not managing our cash and put it to work for us to get the biggest return for our time. Now, out of these seven leaks, then, where should we start? What is the most important place to start? I, I'm going to start with number one, with the leads, okay? So most people think they need more leads and sales, but really most business owners don't need to do more marketing. They, if they just focused on maximizing what they already have, they would get more profit and more peace of mind. So I, I'm not going to spend our time there. I know uh, in this podcast series, there's been some, I've watched some of the previous episodes and there's been some great marketers telling us some really great ways to implement, implement marketing and leads. I'm not going to focus our energy there. I want to focus today on how do we make more out of what you've already got? Even if you had never had another uh, lead come through the door, how do you maximize what you've already got? Okay. So I want to jump straight into number two, which is conversion. So by conversion, I mean for every person who comes to talk to you about working with you, what percentage of those actually end up becoming a client of yours? And I'd like you to ask, ask yourself this question right now. What is your current conversion percentage? If you had 100 people come and speak to you about working with you, how many of those end up choosing to work with you? So what is your current percentage? And you can write that one down for yourself and just get clear. Now, if you don't know or you're not sure, 
that's a really great insight for us already. Okay. Because if we don't know it, we should be measuring it. And once what gets measured gets done. If we know that we're only having, you know, a 2% conversion, great. We can, you know, we can actually go and do some things to make that 3% or 4%. Um, awesome. Thank you for the share. So Felipe said uh, currently under 10% conversion. Now, Philippe, that's good opportunity for us here. If we could get that conversion to 20%, what would it mean to your business? It would make a, a, you know, a major impact. So what is your conversion? Just really get clear on that. Now, I want to give you a quick example. I worked with a kitchen installer and he didn't know his conversion percentage. And we looked through it and we did some analysis and we found out they had like a, an average of, uh, I think it was like 20% conversion, maybe a little bit more, a little bit less, somewhere in that region. Now, I asked him as the owner of the business, when he did the sales, what was his conversion? Because he was the owner of the business, he would get 80%. But his sales team were getting less, less than 20%, 10-15%, but he would get 80%. So we decided we would, we would work on this. We went through the list of 24 items, which you'll find in that uh, report that I've shared there. We created a new sales script, one that was focused on creating more desire and more urgency. We worked with the team just on some simple things. How do I build more rapport? How do I get more connection with the people? And then we implemented a risk reversal. We put a guarantee in place. Now, he knew he could deliver these kitchens on time with high quality. And we put some kind of guarantee in place that uh, the customers really liked. Now, what happened, that took away the risk for the customers. And over a six-month period, his conversion rate went from 20% to 40%, right? He got, he got a 40% conversion. So his business over doubled. So let me ask you, what would it be worth to your business if your conversion over doubled? How much would that impact you? Now you can write that down for yourself. Uh, just make a note of that wherever you're listening. Just make a note. The other part of conversion is one thing to convert a client and get them on board with you. The other question I have around this is, are we converting them into the highest value products and services? Now, we can sell them into something that's got a lower margin, but can you sell them into something that they may spend the same amount of money on, but you get a higher margin? The example I've got for you on this, I worked with a, a jeweler. Uh, actually, Philippe, you mentioned Melbourne. Uh, these, these guys are also in Melbourne. And we worked with them. They were effectively uh, selling a lot of diamonds. But what we discovered is they had a particular um, unique ability to get sapphires and had these unique sapphires. They would sell a sapphire actually for the same amount of time, same amount of money as the diamonds, but they would make more margin. So even if we kept their revenue the same, but sold more sapphires and diamonds, their profitability increased. Okay. And that was one of the, one of the key strategies we, we did working with them. Their profitability, their gross profit increased 52%, but it actually led to them a increase in net profit of 152%. Okay. So once you're past that break-even point, small increases in your gross margin can make very big increases in you know, that net profit. For them, here's, here's the key piece. They hit their three-year target in six months. They could hire a jeweler so the owner could get off of the tools and had a jeweler doing the work, which uh, meant that they had time to take holiday. You know, they managed to buy a new boat. Uh, and of course, one of the things we worked on was saving them time. Some of the stuff they want to save time on was in their home life. So they hired a cleaner and, you know, got a chef to do cooking for them at certain points of the week. So when we get this right, when we shift the conversion or increase the profitability, it can make a pretty decent impact for us in our life. So... I'd love for you to check in. Do you know how to position your most profitable products during the conversion process? And if you think you've only got one product at the moment or one service at the moment, is there some opportunity for us to position something of higher value, of higher perceived value or higher margin? Could we put another product or another service on? Okay. So just for you then, wherever you're listening, just type down what conversion percentage would you like to target? 
and note down what it would be worth to you if you made that increase from where you are now to there. So that's number two. Let's jump on to number three. I'm rattling through these quite quickly because I, I just want to squeeze in as much as I can with you. Next question, question is, is the average dollar sell? And by average dollar sell, I mean, what does a client spend with you on average? Do they come and spend, you know, $1,000 once, you know, and that's it for the year? Or do they spend, you know, $1,000 every month? So they're, they're worth $12,000 per year. So what's, what's the average dollar that they spend with you? So when, are you maximizing the average spend of each client? Oh, question is, do you, do you know what your average dollar sell is? Do you know what they spend with you on average? Some of you can probably take a guess at that. Some of you probably know exactly. So do you know what your average dollar sell is? Oh, uh, I want to share with you an example of a company over at Within. This was an IT company. They were an Atlassian specialist. And we went through and reviewed the, the 15 strategies that are in the, uh, the report I've gifted to you there. Now, one of the key things, all we had to do with them, they, they were targeting larger businesses, banks, you know, of that level, et cetera. And they had a lot more products and services that they could be offering, but they weren't doing it. They weren't positioning it. So all we did is we changed their positioning and started pre-framing a roadmap with clients. We started telling them, hey, you come for this thing here. But by the way, once you do this thing, we can do this, 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 and this. And here's the impact it's going to have on your business. Now, that got the client in the right uh, headspace, in the right frame. So at the appropriate times, we could upsell them and sell them into different products and different services. So offering more services or bigger services from the start can sometimes be the, be the very thing. Maybe your clients need more from you right now than you're actually offering them. The other key piece we did with these guys, we demonstrated the return on investment of the product. So if you have a product or service that's going to make a difference to the organization and you have some data around that to prove the impact is going to have, are you sharing it? So once, uh, once you help them with the innovation and team are more innovative, can you, can you prove what an impact that makes the organization? Or once you do your consulting or your speaking, can you demonstrate what impact that's going to have on the bottom line? If you have any data or statistics around that, show them, share them. <laughs> It really, really becomes important. Um, with this client in particular, his revenue uh, only increased one and a half times, but his profit went up eight point nine times. And again, this is the this is the power it can have for you when we get some small increases in your gross margin. It can really make a major impact on your bottom line. So, now on average dollar sale, there's some some low hanging fruit here that a lot of business owners miss that we can really jump on. So the first question I have for you was, when was the last time you increased your prices? When was the last time you increased your prices? Now, uh, two years ago, I'd asked that. I get a lot of blank faces and people just really weren't doing it. I think more recently with the inflation, I'm hearing a lot of people uh, more frequently say, yes, you know, they, they've been increasing prices. But if you haven't increased your prices in a long time, then maybe we need to consider that. Uh, I speak with people frequently and they haven't increased their prices for three, four, five years. And of course, with inflation increasing all of the time, your costs are getting more expensive. You know, you're effectively going backwards if you haven't. I want to share with you just a powerful table what happens when you do increase your prices okay so this is just a mathematical tables a mathematical computation okay now all it tells us is that if we increase our prices across the top based on our level of gross margin what impacts it would mean so if we picked a a business that had a 30 percent gross margin and we increased the prices in it by five percent across the board they would have to do 14 percent less work just to get to the same profitable same same level of profit right so five percent increase means 14 percent less work Okay. Or if we did a 10% increase in a 40% gross margin business, hey, well, you could do 20% less work and end up in the same position. Now, this is what happened for my client, Neil. He was um, selling boat parts and boat you new know, training on, on boats. He was able by doing a price increase to 
take an extra day off per week. So he took Fridays off to have time with the children and he actually got himself an increase in profitability in the pocket. So uh, more money, less time. And same with Child Play Center. Um, they were very bullish. They, they did a 20% increase. They were very nervous about it and they had no complaints. No one, no one had a problem. People still kept coming and they were still very happy with the service and she wished she did it sooner. Now, I appreciate in some businesses, it's not always easy to do this. It's a little bit trickier. I had a lady who was running a cafe and she said, Kevin, I can't put up the prices of my coffee. You know, people will, will notice that and I'll complain. And I, I completely agree. People are probably very sensitive to that. They're going to get their coffee every day. They notice if it was $3.80, $4, whatever. They're, they're very sensitive to that. However, if she put up the price of the acai bowl or the sandwich or the toasty, would they notice as much? And actually, the thing is, they didn't. They were sensitive to the price of the coffee, but didn't really have much awareness around those other products. So we can pick selectively which products or which services. Um, I, I can give you example and example after this again and again. Very frequently, business owners are scared of doing this. But I think when we position it in the right way or frame, frame it in the right way, then, of course, people are, are more than likely to, uh, to go for it and keep working with you. So my question to you is, are your customers as price sensitive as you think? Are they as price sensitive as you think? Uh, uh, here's a quick example. So this was a physiotherapist I work with, and he basically said by putting up the price, he put up um, price of his consultations by a small amount. I think it was 5 or $10, uh, maybe $10 from memory. And he didn't have to increase the cost of his physios. The physios were still happy to be delivering for the price. So that whole $10 went straight into his profit. So he reckons 30 to 45K off of that one strategy alone across the period of a year. So question is, are your customers as price sensitive as you think? So when was the last time you increased your prices and how much could a price increase add to your bottom line? I'd just like you to maybe even note that down and think what your pattern is going to have. Um, for those of you at the other side of this, do you have anyone on the call who discounts? Do you ever discount? If you discount, I want to show you the this magical table in the opposite direction, okay? So if you discount, it works the same way in reverse, you know, okay? So if we had a 5% price decrease across the board on a 30% gross margin business, you have to work 20% more just to make the same money, right? 20% more to make the same money, okay? Or if you had a 10% discount, on your product or service, you had a 40% gross margin business, guess what? You have to work 33% harder just to make the same money, right? So I have three rules when it comes to discounting in your business. Rule number one is don't discount. Rule number two is don't discount. And rule number three is don't discount, right? I just want to make sure that we really get that point. And some of you will wonder, you know, what's the alternative? What can I do here to discounting? I'm in a competitive industry. I think there's always something when it comes down to the positioning. I was in New York, and I saw this massive queue around the block and I got closer to see well, what was going on. And there was a sign that said $3 haircuts. You know, why pay more? So this queue was around the block. And I thought, okay, that's that's pretty good marketing. You know, they're, they're getting people there. And I saw a hairdresser across the road. Now they were doing normal priced haircuts, which I think there was like 40 or $50 a haircut. So I went and I spoke to the, uh, the owner there and I said, hey, well, they're doing $3 haircuts. So are you going to put your prices down? He said, no. I said, oh, well, what are you going to do then? And he got out this sign and he wrote on this sign and he put this sign up in the window and it said, we fix $3 haircuts. Right? Now, the idea of this, of course, is that it comes down to positioning. If we position things in the right way, we can position ourselves to be the, the, you know, the lowest price, which can be a race to the bottom. Or we can position ourselves for quality and experience. And there's always people who are going to pay for that, that level of quality and experience. 
Okay, on average sell, there's there's so many more things I can go for on average dollar sell. I just want to be mindful of the time. I know we've got like uh, another 10, 15 minutes to go through the remainder. So I'm going to skip through the average dollar sell quite quickly. There's an idea of uh, a price anchor. And the idea of a price anchor is more around like a contrast. The more people are, the longer people are with you, the more money they're likely to spend as you build up trust with them. And it can be the case that we can set a price anchor and a price anchor is just something that people psychologically attach to. Now, Tony Robbins, who I work with a lot, he was very good at this. If you've ever seen him present, whether you like him or don't like him, there's a great business uh, example here. He stands in the front of the room. He says, hey, to work with me, is going to cost you $1 million per year, plus a percentage of your business, plus I got a five-year wait list. Your brain is anchored to the idea that is a million dollars to get his coaching support. Now, later in the program, when he says, hey, but you can work with the coaches I've trained, they're going to only cost you 10 or 15,000 a year. Well, 10 to 15,000 in comparison to a million dollars seems really good. If you didn't have that anchor, you may think, oh, 10 to 15,000 dollars outside of here, coaches are normally only seven or eight. All right. So psychologically, you're anchored to that higher price point. Now, I wonder in your business, are you setting yourself a price anchor? Are you giving your clients something to compare against as a higher perceived value? You've seen this all the time. If you go to a restaurant and you know, look at the, uh, the wine list, you know, there'll be wines on there that are like super, super expensive. And then there'll be wines that, you know, maybe aren't as expensive, but you're anchored then again to the higher price, right? People don't always go for the lowest one, but they certainly, they're connected to like the higher price point. This can work in any business. I had a lady uh, I worked with for a while. She had a cat hotel, right? She would let cats stay there. Typically she was near the airport. So people would stay at this cat hotel uh, or people's pets would stay at the cat hotel uh, once they went off on holiday. And I spoke to her about the idea of price anchoring, setting you know, a really high benchmark, a high point, just so people would psychologically feel better about her other prices. And she said, hey, Kevin, I could. What I could do to set a price anchor, I could have these cats arrive. They can get fed a prawn on Bone China. Um, she said, we can have our team dress up as maids. We can have them uh, give the cats massages and and we can offer the clients 24-7 FaceTime with their pet. So wherever they are in the world, if they want to FaceTime us, we'll be there and we'll be available. I went, well, that's great. That's awesome. How much do you have to charge to do that? And she thought about it. Team needs to be there 24-7, et cetera. She said, I have to charge $1,500 a night for it. Now, that's outrageous. $1,400 a night for this. That's a crazy amount of money. And sure enough, she did that. We promoted it. We put an article out to the press. She got heaps of press all over the city. People thought it was amazing that there was this cat hotel doing $1,400 uh, a night for a cat hotel. And she got all this press all across uh, Sydney and maybe even New South Wales and the radio were talking about it. Now, did she ever sell one of these nights at $1,400? To my knowledge, she's never sold one. Did she sell more of her regular room nights, which were 35 to 40? Yeah, she sold heaps more, right? Because of the press or the attention. So can you anchor this? Can you put something psychologically uh, you know, in your pricing to help people uh, spend more, have a higher perceived value of, of what you offer? So, so how much could a price anchor add to your profit if you implemented it? Now, as a key point there, that people may not actually buy it, but sometimes when you put that price anchor there, people do buy it, right? So I've done this in my pricing again and again. I put a higher price point and thinking people are just going to take my next one down because that's the one that most people take, but some people just, they always want the best for themselves. So if there's something you can create or offer that's a higher value than you have right now, let's, let's consider it. Okay. We're doing well. We're halfway through. Uh, number four, transactions then. So we spoke about how we get people to spend more money with you. This is about how we get them to spend more frequently with you. 
Okay, some people do a service. I had a um, a gardener come around and work on uh, our lawns for us, and you know he cut the grass for us. You know, gave us his bill. Never ever asked to book in again. You know, wasn't interested in, in getting that. But but I for me, I can't can't comprehend why. Like he got us as a client. Why wouldn't he want to keep us? Right? I, I don't I don't think we're that bad as people. Right? Maybe there was something wrong with us. I don't know. But he could rather than him going out searching for more clients, searching for more clients, he keep that one. He could ask me to come back every two weeks. So rather than having one transaction, he could be in with us every two weeks this year. You know, that's you know another 26, 26 times more than he would have done. He probably could have upsold us on some different services as well, rather than just mowing the lawns. He could have you know trimmed the bushes for us. He could have even done our plants if that was in his services. So he could have made significantly more uh, income from us than he did. But he wasn't thinking about you know the frequency of transactions. Now I worked through this with some IP lawyers I work with out of Ecuador, and um, they they made more profit from January to March than they did in the whole of the year before because we got this right. Okay, now what they did we went through these uh, twenty strategies that are in that report I've shared with you, and there were uh, we we implemented automated reminders for renewals. So they were doing it, their team members forget, team members not do it. But we set up these automated reminders to say, hey, your, your copyright or your trademark uh, is due to expire. We need to reapply for it. And because they were doing that, of course, their customers were educated on what they needed. And they were to say, yes, like, do it for us. Like, take our money. We don't want to have that expire. Okay. So it was better service for the clients. And of course, they'll be getting paid more frequently. So I wonder for you, are you educating your clients on why they need to repurchase more frequently? I was, uh, I know we've got some speakers uh, on this call as well. I was speaking with Keith Abraham on this very topic. Now he's a very, very successful speaker. And he said he's constantly educating his clients on what they need to be doing with them next, right? He's had some clients for like 10 years, 12 years or longer, and they rebook him every year or even every quarter. And so it doesn't just happen by accident. It happens because he's constantly educating them. Hey, we've done this, but next you're going to need this and next you're going to need this. So are you constantly educating your clients on you know, what else they should be repurchasing or how else they should be working with you. Uh, here's another question. Do you have a subscription or a MRR, so a monthly recurring revenue or AR, annual recurring revenue? So can you get people on a subscription service to, to working with you? This makes, this makes a lot of value. Uh, one of my clients, again, another IT business, when we started, he was um, helping people with projects. They would do one project and another project and another project. Then we came up with, you know, what could we offer them on monthly recurring revenue? And he had a disaster recovery as a service, like or a cloud, you know, ongoing cloud service. And of course, he helped, helped clients see how this would be valuable to them. They signed up for it. Now, what this means is that the start of every month, he's not fishing around and looking for new clients. He knows already at the beginning of the month that 50% of his revenue is already locked in because every month he just wakes up and it's going to happen again. It's going to happen again. Very sticky, very good long-term value. So if you don't have a recurring revenue product, could you? Would there be value there? Um, in terms of getting these transactions up, how can we do reactivation campaigns? Can you message your uh, existing database or existing connections and remind them of your service? So one of the gyms I work with, F45 gym, we did a text campaign to get people to come in for a new challenge that we had on. And we gave them a special deal, a special rate to get them to come back. And, you know, we reactivated, uh, you know, a decent amount of clients to come from that. It was a highly profitable, very low cost campaign to do. So are you doing any uh, promotional campaigns to let past clients know about what else you have on offer, how else you can work with them? Oh, the other option is if you are doing already monthly recurring revenue things, 
can you set it up that they auto renew? So rather than having to resell the person and renegotiate with them, you know, at the end of the quarter, at the end of the year, can you, you know, get it up on a set and forget? I, 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 there are some statistics on this that say that if people are on an annual recurring thing, they are more likely to continue. They just, they get another year and then they think about quitting and then they just, they go. It's only one time a year they have to think about it. Right. So more people continue if they're having to think about renewing every month or every quarter was in their brain more frequently. So um, one of the examples I had on this then was the uh, Spanish. I think it was the Spanish government and they had the problem in their country that no, not enough people were volunteering to be organ donors. And so they changed the system. They set it up instead to say automatically everyone in the country would be an organ donor unless they chose to opt out. So can we do this in your business? Is there any opportunity for you to set your renewals up in a way that if people uh, automatically resubscribe or renew, unless they give you notice to opt out, that can really help increase conversion straight away. Uh, okay, expenses. On to number five then. We've got uh, another two to go, and I think we're doing right on track. I think we're going to be very fine. So I've got a picture here uh, you know, of this this worship. It reminds me of a, a movie I watched once and they had to innovate. They had to be able to get this aircraft to be able to launch from an aircraft carrier, but the aircraft was, it was too heavy. So they had to go through it. And with the question, is this really necessary? So they went through everything in there. Passenger seat, we're not going to have a passenger, throw it out. You know, these bolts or rivets, no, not necessary. As they took out anything that wasn't necessary, right? And they got rid of it. And sure enough, they got this airplane light enough so it could take off in a shorter space, a shorter distance. And I think this can be true for us in our business. As we look through, I'd like you to ask yourself the question on all of your expenses, is this really necessary? Just as forwards, is this really necessary? Now, every time I say this to a business owner, they always say, oh, Kevin, I, you know, I'm, I'm good on this. I manage my costs very carefully. And then when we go for it, there's always opportunity. You know, we find maybe there's some of these direct debits that have been recurring again and again. And we question them, is this really adding value to you now? Do we need this? And we find actually no is is not um or a company i work with they uh they they do a lot of transportation out of brisbane airport and whilst we went through the pnl and asked is this really necessary we started to get a little bit more innovative and say how else can we do this and we realized that there were certain uh, shifts that were you know employing people to sit at the airport where very few customers would come through and the decision that that could be made around that was well actually we don't need a person there we can set up this um, touch screen system for those times a day and the customers can easily touch the screen, get their tickets and, you know, and, and go and jump on the transport. And so that, that in that particular organization, that saved them a seven figure sum. So sometimes looking things in a different way from a different angle and say, how else can we do this? Is this really necessary? It can be really helpful. Now in that report I've shared with you, there's 30 plus strategies, uh, which, you know, which you can deploy. So we asked number one, is this really necessary? Number two, we can renegotiate. When was the last time you renegotiated on the major items? So I had a client do this. Um, they, they actually quite liked their accountant. They really enjoyed working with them. But we went to get another couple of quotes, you know, for the work that they had coming up. And based on those two quotes, they got much better deals and much better offers. So they're able to go back to their existing accountant and say, hey, I really love working with you. You know, I, I think it's great. I would love to keep working with you. However, I've just gone to the market and these are the other things that are being told. These are the prices. You know, is there something we can do? And accountant was very happy to match the lower prices and keep working with them, right? And so I think it can be be possible. Have you renegotiated on any of your major deals? Are there some things in there that we can start asking about? Um, 
pan at you in terms of your PL. This is one simple thing that will really make a major difference to you. Start reviewing your actual results every month. So what was the results in the month? What was your revenue? What was your cost? Um, as simple as that sounds, it gives you a chance to focus on what's actually going on in the business and what can I tweak and change. Every time I've done this in the business, it, uh, it helps expand the results because what you focus on expands. Now, particularly if you set a budget or a target that you want to hit for the year and you're reviewing your actuals against that, if you're not on track, then you immediately start to ask, how can I do that? How can I tweak it? How can I change it? And then uh, finally on that one, uh, Profit First implemented. In the interest of time, I'm not going to delve into Profit First. There's a great book by Mike Michalowicz. And he talks about how we can start allocating our profitability uh, to an account. So we we just prioritize ourselves before we spend money on expenses and tax, put our profit aside, and then make sure the rest of the money we kind of uh, manage with what we have left. Okay. And then number six, time. Have you, are you being as efficient or effective as you could be? I have a really great tool that I'd love to uh, love for you to go through. It's called uh, the is a three by three matrix, and what it does, it helps you allocate where you're spending your time on how much fun or fulfilling a task is, and uh, what level of skill it is. A lot of people get stuck doing stuff they don't like, which is low skill, which we could easily outsource to someone else, as opposed to be doing the things that they really should be doing, which is stuff that's really high skill. Okay, and fun for them. Now, if we could move all of your time from all that low skill, low fun stuff to the high skill, high fun stuff, your business would transform. I've seen it again and again. The trophy maker I worked with, she would spend a lot of her time in that low skill, low fun, making trophies. You can imagine bolting a trophy to a piece of marble, putting a name plaque on it and doing her bookkeeping. We got those things off of her plate and she was able to then do the high skill, high fun things, which was focusing on her marketing and sales. Now, rather than going after individual sporting clubs with the extra time, we're able to go after, go, go after the whole uh, industry. So she managed to secure the trophy rights to do the whole of the soccer industry. So then she was able to go after the cricket and vice versa. As you can imagine, over six months um, of doubling her time in sales and marketing, her business over, over doubled as well. So if you could save yourself 10 to 20 hours per week, how would that change your life? How would that change your business? Just make a note on that. And then finally, last but not least, and then we can uh, free ourselves up for some questions. So number seven is cash. Do you know what your working capital cycle is in days? And if you're wondering what is your working capital cycle, then it's a good good question. We need to we need to work through this and identify what is your working capital cycle. Uh, businesses like Amazon have had had so much success because they get a positive working capital cycle, meaning they get the money in the door before they need to pay anything out. So they've always always got more, more cash in. So they're getting money from clients before they have to buy stock or play the uh, pay the suppliers. Whereas other businesses get that the opposite way around. They have to uh, buy the stock. The stock sits in a warehouse and they have to make the stock. And then they give their customers, you know, 30 days to pay. And then eventually, you know, then they get the money, right? So uh, then they end up being, you know, backwards. They have to fund that working capital cycle. So, if you have that situation, if your money's out the door too often, it makes it very hard to grow unless you have access to additional cash. So uh, could you, how better could your business be? How much better could your business be if you could control the cash? Now, the reason this is in a profit conversation is because if we have more cash, we can reinvest it for higher, higher profit, higher return. Now, I've done that in record time. Uh, I think sometimes that can take us uh, you know, an hour plus to go through that, but to fit on the requirements we had today, we, we've nailed for it. So thank you for, uh, for bearing with me as I've gone through a bit of a fire hydrant uh, pace. Just 
quick recap them. So the five key areas, we're not attracting enough leads. We're not converting enough prospects into clients. We are not uh, maximizing average dollar spend. We're not maximizing the frequency of purchase. We're not managing the expenses effectively. We're not managing time effectively. We're not managing the cash effectively. So wherever you're listening to this right now, just take note, which of those are the biggest issue or the biggest challenge for you right now? If there was one key one that causes the biggest challenge for you, then you just, uh, you know, just, just make a note of that one yourself. And that's one that we need to focus on. Um, I have one before we jump into Q and A. Yeah, let's actually let's let's if if it works for you, Chris, we'll we'll jump into Q and A, and then I can share a couple of additional free resources uh, for the listeners afterwards. Yeah, no, sure. I see. Um, Philippe's got a question. Um, yeah, I'm gonna start. Um, <clears throat> so there are leads and there are qualified leads. So what would be your advice to get better qualified leads? And I'm happy like with the ten percent, but ten percent of more qualified lead that would be like so much better. So, yes. Um, yes. What's your, what's your angle on that? Okay. So the, the distinction here then of a qualified lead is we want to be having conversations with people who already uh, you know know us, like us, and trust us. They're already educated. Now, with the internet the way that it is, you know, people are more uh, educated and aware by the time they get on the phone with you. In the past, the first step would have been to get on the phone or meet with them, and then you'd have to do all the education to get them there. So in this day and age, what can we do to educate your prospects and give them more knowledge and more information before they even arrive with you. Is there something that you can be doing, I guess, uh, proactively going out and giving presentations and podcasts that they're going to see? Is there educational content you can have on your website or YouTube or through social media? Are there white papers or reports in the industry that you can be getting to them or in their inbox? Can they be, if they're already part of your database and, you know, in your, um, you know, in your email sequence, can you be proactively sending them quality nurture information so that they're they're already aware? Now, the, the best way on this, of course, is is if we know very clearly who they are, what their biggest frustrations are, what their biggest desires are, we can be writing our content to target those hot buttons. So if you know right now, Philippe, that your prospects are, you know, losing money or they're losing market share or no, they're they're not getting as many sales as they want. And you can target that and say, hey, is there a chance that you're losing market share? And you know, is there any is there any reason, you know, about your products? Is it is it down to the products you have? Hey, well, what would it be like if we worked with you uh to innovate to create new products? Or what would it be like if we helped your team to start thinking more creatively around how they resolve this problem? So if if you can actually start targeting them on their pain points or their problem and put out specific content to that pain point, and then when they come to speak to you, they come to speak to you because they already understand how you can help them resolve their problem. So uh, ho hopefully, and as a 30,000 foot view, but hopefully that, that goes some ways answering your question. Yeah, it does. Yeah, thank you. Uh, one idea I had was to really be more present on podcasts. So um, I'll dive into that. That can help. The other thing is we could proactively target your clients as well. Um, knowing that you're helping these organizations, I'm guessing, I'm reading between the lines, some of these organizations you work with are larger organizations? Um, well, actually, my target market is more like a psychographic than an actual demographic. Okay. So I tend to work with serial entrepreneurs. And, um, and for, I work for entre with entrepreneurs that want to build a new physical product and turn that into a proper business. 
Okay, great. Then mm. we would know where they would be, right? There's, you know, when you say serial entrepreneurs, you know which groups they're hanging out with, you know where they spend their time. So uh, we could proactively go and speak in front of those groups and in front of those audiences. We could be doing some kind of alliance partner, alliance relationship. Now, that would position you very well because if someone um, said, hey, you know, Philippe is here, we really trust Philippe, he is the expert in this area all of the trust of that presenter straight on you. And it cuts mm -hmm. down the amount of effort you need to convince them. Now, here's an example. I do lots of presentations like, like this because it's very valuable when, you know, Michael Landy say, hey, Kevin, you're awesome. You should come on here. Well, some element of their trust or their credibility, the fact that they put me on here will, will come with me. And I do that in other audiences. So when you know, someone says, hey, Kevin's amazing. You should listen to him talk about profit you know, maximization. He's really great at this. He's really helped our clients. That, that makes my life so much easier in a conversation to convert because now you've already received that endorsement from someone else. You've already heard me speak on the topic that, Hey, that's relevant to me. Okay. Now compare that to if I went out to one of those, uh, you know, on, I don't know maybe like, um, you know, I just put myself up on some online room where they're saying, Hey, you know, we need support. And then I'm one of anyone. They don't know me. There's no qualification. So being, being in front of people who uh, already have an existing database can be very powerful, I think, for you. But that, yeah, it comes down, how, how do you educate them? How do you put them through a sequence to take them you know, on a journey to understand you know, what is their problem, what is the desired outcome they want, and how you can really help them? Thank you. Thank you. Great question. Yeah, is there any other questions from um, anyone else? Kevin, hit it on the dot. Okay, wonderful. Well, before you all run, then uh, I, I, I want to share uh, as much value and wisdom with you as I can. So there's another opportunity here. So you've already got the report. I'd like to share with you as well. Uh, if we just pop this one on the screen, this thing is called the Profitable Business Scorecard. And what it does is in a few minutes, you can go through and answer a handful of questions and it'll give you an assessment on uh, if I can get the, uh, it'll give you an assessment on how, where you're, where you're leaking profit, where are the gaps for you? So it will show you, Hey, here's what you're doing really great, but here's where you have the gap. So just to get a few minutes there, I'll just pop that one in the chat box. So there's a, a link there on the job form again, uh, totally, totally free. There's, there's no cost for that one. If you go and take that, it will point out to you where the opportunities for you, where are the gaps. So if you weren't sure on where the seven areas that you needed to, um, sorry, if I can, <laughs> I got a busted finger, if you weren't sure on the seven areas where you needed to, uh, to improve it will really point those out for you that's number one but the other other thing is i know um on this webinar we have a an intimate group here and maybe on your podcast this may not work because you have so many listeners there but certainly for the uh you know, the, the intimate group on here if you wanted to um have some additional time with me uh as a thank you to uh mike and landy and uh, being part of this community i'd be happy to spend a little bit of time with you and go through some of this specific to your business so if you're interested in that and that's uh that's relevant for you then there is uh there's also the link there for that as well you can you can book in on my calendly link so uh chris i really appreciated everything that you shared today and uh everything everything you allowed me to share today so i really appreciate it thank you so much uh, thank you, Kevin, for coming. We've just got another question here from Steve. Um, just before yes. you leave. Hey, hi, hi Kevin. Um, hi, so Steve. I just, had, I just had a quick question um, relating to, you know, your, your discounting, discounting, discounting. Um, in the online um, space where you're selling physical and virtual products, um, from, the, from a discounting perspective, 
Um, I, I know quite a, quite a lot of people sort of have recommended rather than discounting because it's a race to the bottom, value adding. Have you got any examples or, or sort of insights on, on value adds? Yes. And so please, Steve, so I can answer this with more context. Tell me about your business. What is it that you sell? Uh, just field hockey equipment. So hockey sticks and um, hockey related equipment. Great. I, I love that. So there's, there's a few options on this. Um, we can we can add in other products or services that have a low cost to you, but high perceived value. So maybe with these hockey sticks, and I'm, I'm not familiar with hockey, so forgive me if I make up a bad example here. Maybe with these hockey sticks, what they really need is some product to help maintain it or take care of it, right? And maybe you can get hold of that for you know a dollar a product, but really the perceived value of that is twenty, right? So then that that may help, right? You give you you bundle that in. It's only costing a dollar extra, but the perceived value is is twenty dollars more, right? The other opportunity on this as well. I want to think about alliance partnerships. So sometimes other organizations will be willing to give you something for free to give away that has a, a perceived value on it. And you know you can work with it because then they get maybe a lead or they get um, to get their product into the marketplace. I'll give you an example of this. I worked with a, um, a gym and this was, a, this was another gym chain down in Melbourne. And what they did is they, the price of the gym was the price of the gym, but they went around to people in the area who might be relevant partners. So I think they went to the local masseuse, the local uh, food bar, the local juice maker, uh, maybe even the local florist. And they got all of them to contribute a voucher for free. Now, what it meant is that when the customers arrived and signed up for the gym, they got this bonus book of vouchers worth, I think it was worth $500 or $1,000. I can't remember the value, but maybe it's $500. And they could go and take that voucher and they could go to the juice juice bar and you know get their free juice now typically or they can go to the masseuse and get like a short massage typically when they went there they then got to know the place and the location and the team members you know got the opportunity to upsell them or got the opportunity to create a longer term client for them so there may be some opportunities with alliance partnerships are there any alliance partners um, that you could team up with the other thing for you steve since you're selling online one of the things that's got high perceived value but low cost is um electronic products. So if I purchase my hockey stick, you know, my hockey products from you, could I get access to your members area, which has, you know, content and education on how to be better at hockey videos of you interviewing the world's best hockey players, right. And learning their tips or their tricks. Now, if you had a short video series and you, you could probably go and find some well-known hockey players who'd be willing to give up their time and, and talk to you. Um, you record that and put that in the members area. There's a very high perceived value on that. That could in itself be a product, you know, that someone might come and pay you $500 or $1,000 for. And you say, hey, if you buy your product for me, you get access to this program for free. Now, there's no additional cost to you for doing that, except, um, you know, what is, you know, what is the, the cost of setting up a, you know, a username and ID for them? Like they're already there. So educational products, it could be, could be an ebook or report that you've written. It could be a video series. It could be, could be something of that nature. So, what is um? What are their educational gaps? What else would they really value from that? Um, hey, here's another piece, Sam. Let's go a step further on that. Um, community, is there value in a community that you have? So maybe once they purchase the product from you, they can come and be involved in your hockey community. Now, there's that could be potentially a membership area where you have other hockey enthusiasts in there sharing knowledge and tips and tricks. Now, might not work with hockey. I I don't know, but it's it certainly works in other industries. So. Um, so a few a few ideas there, and I think the key concept in all of that is how can we keep it for low value, but you know 
uh, high high perceived you know, low cost but high perceived value i think that's that's the tip or the trick there and if we can leverage alliance partnerships you know get thing, things for free free or we can get things on a lower cost then, then it's a good way to do it cool thank you so much appreciate it awesome. my pleasure yeah th thank you kevin and um, thank you for everyone attending I've posted all the links and um, contact details on the post and we'll be doing so on the description of the podcast as well. So you won't be missing out for those that are listening. Thank you. And I uh, hope you guys have a great day or evening, wherever you are. And thanks, Kevin, yet again. Thank you, guys. Thank you all so much. Really appreciate it. Cheers, Thank you, all. Bye-bye.